Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. Welcome back to another episode of Two Girls, One Ship, the podcast where we analyze, rate, and review all that the world of video game romances has to offer. I'm Genesis, the girl who apologizes to her cyberpunk listeners for not putting out an episode this week. It's been a hospital week, and while things are stable now, I just couldn't keep to our normal recording schedule. Um, and I'm Vervada. The two-part intro for me is, one, never apologize for life. My second part is also glad to hear that Rexy is stable. Makes me happy. Makes yep. me happy. Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, for Cyberpunk, it just ended up that, um, like, normally we record on Wednesday nights, and I couldn't do it Wednesday night. And then I was like, do we want to do a follow-up on a different day? And then it ended up not working out well for him. And so I was just like, all right, this will be the first time that I've ever not put out an episode on either show. So I feel super guilt. But it's life. It is what it is. So thank you for your understanding. And if you're new here, welcome to the beautiful chaos. But you should know that our podcast centers on character and romance analysis and doesn't shy away from exploring the fun of fucking. Or from the deep emotional connections built between two or more characters using specific in-game dialogue. So if you want to stay spoiler-free, then this is definitely not the podcast for you. So here's your fucking spoiler alert. Thanks for the spoiler alert, N7. And just like with all of our previous episodes, we'll assume that you have some background knowledge of the game and character in question, but we will be providing context for those of you who may be unfamiliar. Today, we are still in Thetis. We're going to be in Thetis for a while. And we're still the Inquisitor, specifically a male Inquisitor, because the subject of our episode is only available to romance if you are a male Inquisitor. So we will be using he, him pronouns for them. The first time he laid eyes on her, she was frowning down at him as he was tied to a chair. The rift had just opened in the sky. Divine Justinia was dead alongside everyone else at the conclave. And he was the only one left alive in the ruins of the Temple of Sacred Ashes. 
Cassandra, Allegra, Portia, Calogera, Philomena, Pentagast, there's a lot of words, is a seeker, the right hand of the divine, and she has set her sights on you as the culprit at the start of Dragon Age Inquisition. And while Blackwall loved to be next to the blacksmith, Cassandra hangs out next to the training ground, so you're going to hear a lot of um, sword-clingy clashes. I swear it sounds like a war is going on in the background, and you know, not wrong. Kind of is. You're kind of a force of nature, aren't you? When I need to be. It's impressive. You flatter me. I'm trying. Cassandra was born in 903. Or maybe 904 Dragon? In a carriage, halfway between Cumberland and Valshaven. If you couldn't tell by her many, many names, she is a member of the royal family in Navarra. She's actually 78th in line to the throne. But Cassandra was never interested in the throne. Ever. And unfortunately, both of her parents were. They were involved in an attempt to overthrow the King of Navarra and were executed, leaving Cassandra and her brother as orphans. Their uncle, a senior Mortaltasi member, vouched for them and took them in as his wards. So she grew up in the Grand Necropolis of Navarra. And if you want to see what the Necropolis looks like, go watch. What was the show? Oh my god, my brain. Absolution. Yes. Dragon Age Absolution. Also, I think it's Mortalitasi, like there's an extra syllable in there. <laughs> I thought it was Mortalitasi. Yeah, yeah, there's an I in there. Anyway... They're like not necromancers. They just like are mages with a flair for death. They like to hang around dead people. Um, okay. Anyway, whatever. We're both going to mispronounce shit. I still don't even know how to say all of Cassandra's names. Cassandra's names. Whatever. Long A, short A. I don't know. <laughs> Our curse. Cassandra. Anyway. Cassandra. Um, out here I go. Mispronouncing again. Their uncle Vestalis. Vestalis. Question mark, question mark. Was a busy guy tending to the dead and all that. So Cassandra and her brother really only had each other. They took up swordsmanship, dreaming of becoming great dragon hunters like their ancestors before them, um, because that's what the Pentagasts are known for, killing dragons. Her brother later became a successful dragon hunter, while Cassandra was kept in what she describes as a gilded cage, being a noble woman. If you think about it, what women characters in Dragon Age are fighters? Like the class as a fighter or a warrior. The knights of the group. You got Aveline in Dragon Age 2. And then Cassandra in Inquisition. Usually the kick-ass women we get in these games are mages. Sometimes rogues, but they're all fringe society members. Mages are either apostates or circle mages. Not society's favorite people. And the rogues are usually criminals, like Sarah or Isabella. Aveline and Cassandra are both anomalies. Women in Thetis are much like women in most other medieval fantasy settings. There are a few powerful fighters that go against the grain, but most women in the world do not take up arms like this. Cassandra's very much a rebel. Now, by 916 Dragon, her brother Anthony had gained enough fame as a dragon hunter that he was confronted by some blood mages. It's always blood mages, isn't it? 
He refused to gather dragon blood for them. And in return, they beheaded him right in front of then 12-year-old Cassandra. Core trauma moment achieved! These mages never faced justice for the murder, which led to Cassandra begging her uncle to be sent to the Templar Order. Because nothing is safer for mages than having their jailers holding personal grudges, right? Her uncle ended up sending her to the Seekers of Truth instead. Which, if you don't know exactly what a Seeker is or does, the Dragon Age Lorecast released an episode on it on February 10th of 2022. So go take a listen if you want all the details. TLDR, Seekers attempt to police the Templars, aka the Magic Police, to ensure justice. And they are the Chantry's investigators. When the Seekers don't do their jobs properly... Dragon Age 2 happens, a.k.a. the Mage Templar War. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So Cassandra started her training at the fortress of Montsimad, apprenticed to Seeker Byron, who spent far more time on her religious education rather than her martial one. She was already quite an accomplished swordswoman, and while the focus being on religious studies initially frustrated her, She eventually embraced it and excelled. She's what we call a teacher's pet. She underwent her vigil at age 15, which is apparently the youngest any seeker in training has done since the Storm Age, which was two ages ago in Dragon Age time. We'll talk more about the meaning of the vigil later, but essentially it's like a whole year of fasting, prayer, and separation from all distractions, including other people to mentally prepare for becoming a seeker. Cassandra will say that it felt like everything dropped away in her months of meditation, but the truth is a bit darker. Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm ADHD brain, (laughs) jumping around. Don't do that. We have the events of the Inquisition to get to. Cassandra is interrogating the future Inquisitor, because he's the only one left alive and has a matching rift in their hand to the one in the sky. So naturally, Cassandra suspects he is the culprit. Obviously, he is innocent, and Cassandra gives him the opportunity to prove it by closing the breach. While he isn't quite able to close it, he does close a rift and stabilizes the breach in the meantime. The figure that appears to them all and says the Inquisitor actually stopped a dark ritual from being completed, despite him having no memory of it, looks a lot like the formerly alive and recently unalived Divine Justinia. This makes Cassandra switch gears, going from suspicious to faithful, believing the Inquisitor was sent by the Maker now. You're delightful, you know that? No, I do not know that. I object. There is nothing delightful about me. I beg to differ. (sighs) I think I preferred you in the stock. I just, I love, I love everything about her. (laughs) Cassandra and Leliana invoke the writ to restore the Inquisition, which is independent of Chantry authority. 
It's important to have some kind of organization with which to focus on closing the breach and to find the true culprits. Cassandra's, you know, got her eye on the prize. The Chantry is in shambles. Mage and Templar relations are at their absolute worst, so the Inquisition is extremely needed at this point. She still believes in the Chantry, though, that it is necessary and can be salvaged somehow. Cassandra and Lelion are actually foils to each other in many ways. You know how I love a good foil. Cassandra is distrustful of mages and believes in the Chantry, whereas Leliana is distrustful of Templars and believes in the Divine. Cassandra is a true idealist, and Leliana is now a realist. Leliana used to be an idealist before she went through everything she has gone through. She's kind of the Dragon Age version of Liara in Mass Effect. Cassandra, on the other hand, believes the Chantry can be made better, but it should not be gotten rid of completely. Yeah, she's actually pretty conservative. Not in a modern political sense, but in a values sense. She worries about the state of things if they were all to simply get rid of Circle of Magi and the Templar Order. She believes they serve a purpose in society and would rather reform them. She's no radical rebel like Leliana, preferring incremental change, where Leliana goes, nope, upheaval right now. This also makes her someone who is not looking to rule, but she will staunchly ally of whoever takes up that mantle and does it selflessly. This is a trope called crayon. The trusted right hand who does not vie for power, but is content in their supporting role. While she seems like the de facto leader of the Inquisition at first, she's more than happy when everyone starts singing about the dawn coming and looking to the player as the new Herald of Andraste. And then we are at Skyhold, finally in power. And we begin our chances at actually romancing this defrosting ice queen, this princess of pragmatism. Oh yeah, by the way, that song, The Dawn Will Come, it is in my top five of nerd songs with lyrics. Raphael's final act, I See Fire, I Really Want to Stay at Your House, The Edge of Night, The Dawn Will Come. All can be mixed up into any order uh, as my top five, depending on mood. Same. Yep. <laughs> also, uh, honorable mention to um, Down by the River. Which one is that one? <laughs> the character creation song in Baldur's Gate 3. Oh, uh, does it have lyrics? Oh, yeah. Go listen to Down by the River on the uh, soundtrack. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Then Yes. Right, let's start romancing Cassandra. Good book? Ah, I don't know what you're talking about. Wait, are you blushing? What would I have to blush about? You tell me. It's of no interest to you, I'm certain. It's a book. I can see that. It's one of Varric's tales, Swords and Shields, the latest chapter. So you like to read? What's wrong with that? It's frivolous. There are more important things for me to do. That's just her favorite. Nobody asked you, Tavinta. 
<laughs> I couldn't finish the last one you lent me. I actually feel dumber for having tried. It's literature. Smutty literature. Whatever you do, don't tell Varric. Maybe I should read that book. You? No. Why not me? You're the Inquisitor. <laughs> oh, I see. They're terrible. And magnificent. And this one ends in a cliffhanger. I know Varric is working on the next. He must be. You. You could ask him to finish it. Command him to... Pretend you don't know this about me. Like the single most amazing moment. Actually, I can't say that because like Iron Bull moments happen in the game. But I love this scene. It's so funny and so cute. Like, I love Dorian's bitchy drive-by commentary. It's so funny. And this scene is the part where Cassandra ceases to be the badass woman that she is. And I see a kindred spirit. She's still badass. Let me make that clear. But like, she is more than just this frowning knight. She is a smutty smut slut like me. She specifically loves the fluff stuff, also like me. Also called WAFF, W-A-F-F, as in warm and fuzzy feeling. Love it. I think this serves to really humanize Cassandra. She just is not only a stuffy religious knight in shining armor, who simultaneously has the best resting bitch face ever, but she also has these adorable hidden depths. She's also one of the least corruptible characters in Dragon Age at large. And yet she slips up here a little bit, trying to use Inquisitor powers to get more smutty literature. Also, for someone who has a history with Varric, I think it's really great to see her revise her opinion on him. She's not so inflexible as to be unwilling or unable to change her mind or realize when she's wrong. If you don't remember, Cassandra was interrogating Varric all throughout the events of Dragon Age 2. Like, the whole game is basically Varric just, you know, retelling it to Cassandra, retelling Hawk's story. Cassandra does a lot of interrogating. It's like her whole thing. Almost like she's an inquisitor or a seeker of truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Finding this out about Cassandra is also her first personal quest. While she didn't exactly ask, she did mention that she wouldn't be opposed to the Inky commanding Varric to finish the series. You don't have to force him to do it. Varric is quite happy finishing the series just because he is so shocked that Cassandra likes it. According to him... It's not a good story, but he is willing to finish it for a friend, as long as he gets to be there for the reveal. What have you done now? I get it, Seeker. You're still sore after our spat. I'm not a child, Varric. Do not suggest I'm without reason. Uh, a peace offering. The next chapter of Swords and Shields. I hear you're a fan. This is your doing. I was hoping you'd be happy about it. Well, if you're not interested, you're not interested. Still needs editing anyhow. Wait! <laughs> you're probably wondering what happens to the night captain after the last chapter. <gasps> Nothing should happen to her. She was falsely accused. Well, it turns out the guardsman... Don't! 
tell me? <clears throat> this is the part where you thank the Inquisitor. I don't normally give sneak peeks, after all. I... thank you. This was everything I'd hoped. I know how you feel. I wonder if I have time to read the first part. But don't forget to tell all your friends, if you have any. Ah, completely worth it. I love the nod to the tally line. Totally worth it. And how adorable this whole interaction is. They obviously don't hate each other anymore. And it's a great continuation of Cassandra and Varric's relationship from DA2. See, people can obtain new information and change their minds. It's like a normal ass thing. Now, moving on to the tarot cards. We need to talk about the first one, the default card that Cassandra has. It depicts Cassandra on a horse, her back straight and her helmet under her arm, a town and the Inquisition's banners behind her. You are viewing her from the side and the banners are abreast of her. So she walks in step with the Inquisition. Her ornate pauldrons are decorated with the Inquisition's heraldry, the weight of its mission literally sitting on her shoulders. <laughs> this card represents strength in the Major Arcana, and when it is upright, it indicates a need for patience and calm regardless of the situation at hand. It represents being in control and disciplined, especially in tough situations, which is Cassandra to a T. When it's reversed, meaning upside down, the strength card can mean that an intense period of stress or anger is to come and maybe perhaps you're suffering a lack of conviction. When it comes to love, the strength card can indicate that no matter how fierce someone may seem on the outside, there is more going on than meets the eye. The way these cards were designed and the specific cards chosen for each companion in this game is a very creative and awesome use of both imagery and magic. I think it fits her very, very well. Agreed. So that book you were reading. Uh, yes, what of it? So under that taciturn shell beats a true romantic heart. Why must it be an accusation? Romance is not the sole province of dithering ladies and frilly dresses. It is passion. It is being swept away by the pursuit of an ideal. What is not to like about that? Don't get me wrong, I like this side of you. I don't swoon. I meant the passion. Ah, oh, well that's not so bad then. Preach, girl, preach. Oh, I love those lines. Like her card foretells, Cassandra contains multitudes, just like any real person or any well-crafted character. As the game progresses, the Inquisitor, the Inquisitor sides with the mages or the Templars. Things happen, blah, 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 and eventually Varric summons Hawk to Skyhold. This enrages Cassandra because he had told her that he didn't know where Hawk was. He... that was... a lie. She confronts Varric, accusing him of withholding key information at a time of crisis. 
And, well, she's not wrong. But Varric just wanted to protect his friend, who, in his opinion, was heroed out enough for one lifetime. So he also has a point. Cassandra believed that if Hawk had been at the Conclave, Divine Justinia might have been saved. But Varric shrewdly points out that if Hawk had been there, then they would have just died too. While she didn't get Hawk as her Inquisitor, she doesn't have many complaints over who is the Inquisitor. I may not always agree with your decisions, but how many could do what you have done? You were a prisoner, accused and reviled, yet you've emerged from every trial victorious. The Maker's grace does not make you immortal. You live or die by your own hand. That is worthy of admiration. If I'm guided by anything, it's you. Oh, excellent. The blind leading the blind. I don't think you're blind. Clearly, you haven't been paying attention. Cassandra can disapprove of the Inquisitor if he expresses too much doubt about the Maker or the Chantry teachings. She supports Chantry-derived institutions and doesn't like efforts to curtail their power and influence. She distrusts magic at first, um, and a little bit still eventually, and spirits as well, and will not always like an Inquisitor who makes deals with apostates, demons, or who dabble in other forbidden things. She respects honor, sacrifice, truth, and selflessness. I've heard those before. She at first gets along really well with Blackwall, but then, you know, she, um, she doesn't <laughs> after a certain reveal happens. If she disapproves too much of you, the Inquisitor, you'll eventually find her drunk in the tavern expressing her distaste, but she will always stay in the Inquisition, no matter what. Can't drive her away. She is a loyal bitch. But we, in this episode, are earning her approval and her heart, so affirm her views, be sympathetic to her emotional state, and flirt. Even if it endlessly confuses Cassandra, flirt, 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 flirt. Even if you are a female Inquisitor, you get a lot of flirt options for her. Blackwall makes an insightful observation about Cassandra in one conversation, saying that Cassandra used to, is used to being seen and treated like a soldier rather than as a woman. It makes more sense why she might be drawn to such a stereo, stereotypical portrayal of romance. Okay, in this next clip, I left an important pause. You will hear Cassandra's armor clank as she leaves. Then she slams a door and poor Inky Boo scratches the back of his head. He then starts to sullenly walk away and Cassandra calls back out to him. You'll know when you hear it. I was hoping we could speak privately. Are we not? Right. Of course we are. The flirting. With me. I've noticed it. Unless it is my imagination, which is entirely possible. No, it's not your imagination. You cannot court me if that's your intention. It's impossible. 
Did you just say I can't court you? Yes. What of it? It's just a bit formal. And that is a bad thing? I cannot be properly courted. Is that what you want? No. I take it back. That is what I want. I want a man who sweeps me off my feet, who gives me flowers and reads me poetry by candlelight. I want the ideal. You are the Inquisitor and the Herald of Andraste. You cannot be that man. I can be that man, Cassandra. The world hinges on our actions. We face death at every turn, Inquisitor. That doesn't change how I feel. It changes everything. So good. I love that whole scene. Cassandra's so honest and pure. She barely let a second go by after telling her lie about not wanting to be properly courted before admitting that, in fact, it is what she wants. That's something that I adore about her character. Her simple goodness. She's not complicated in the best possible way. In this world of demons magic of masked empires and ancient elven gods disguised as your boyfriend it is beyond refreshing to have someone so trustworthy by your side romantically or not but especially in a romantic relationship she sees a problem she fixes it she has no aims for herself other than holding herself to her own impossibly high standard which she graciously extends to the others in similar positions this is one reason why she never ever truly forgives Blackwall for his lie, or all his lies. She thought he was like her, someone who had worked hard and undergone a harrowing of their own in order to protect the innocent and ensure justice in an unjust world. But instead, she saw someone who basically committed stolen valor. It's also why the revelations about what the Seekers have really been doing shakes her faith and her worldview. But before we get to that whole situation, and also the poetry by candlelight bits, let's take a quick mid-break to listen to some fun facts, hear from sponsors of the show, and thank our patrons. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Woo! Hmm. Oh, you know what? Instead of tonight of the winter winter palace waltz, let's do like warrior training poses. 
you know, like the fluid dance of sword play. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I'm a lover, not a fighter. Yeah, but no, it's like very zen, very like. Have you ever watched like the sword motions where it's like really slow and steady? Like Geralt does them in The Witcher in the TV series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm thinking of. It's like Tai Chi with a sword almost. Yes, exactly that. We could do that. It's not violent. All right, let's get to these fun facts. Cassandra is voiced by Miranda Ryson, who is also in a ton of stuff. She did voices in Mass Effect Andromeda, Elden Ring, and Anthem. And the only TV that I recognized is Nellie Davenport in Warrior. Oh, I I wrote that for sorry. Did do you not watch Warrior? I watched no. Warrior. It's on HBO. It's so good. So I wrote that from my point of view. I'm sorry that you read it. Yeah, <laughs> so I, like... I recognized that. Um, Warriors like this show set in like a uh, Victorian era San Francisco about the Chinese gangs and oh my god it's so good it's like it's based on the show that bruce lee wanted to make and then no one would make because they were like we're not gonna no one's gonna want to watch a show with asian people as the main cast which is false and then they ended up canceling the show when they actually made it and then they redid it like someone else bought it and now there's a new season it's so freaking good and the martial arts in that show are legit and amazing she doesn't do martial arts she's like um I, if I remember her correctly, she's like the um da- no daughter of the mayor or wife of the mayor, and then she cheats on him with the guy, the main guy who's super hot. Anyway, that show's amazing. He's hot because he's vulnerable. Oh, also, so next fact is um, Mary Kirby, formerly of Bioware, also like inventor of Kunari, an awesome writer on Dragon Age for the first three games described Cassandra as an extremely crusty baguette, which I loved, and I wanted to put that in here. Because what, she's got like a hard exterior but is squishy on the inside? Yes, she's a day-old baguette. Still good. Okay. Still good. Uh, Given that her birth year is either 903 or 904, that would make her at the youngest about 37 years old. So she's actually one of the oldest companions, which, yes, we stand for that. There's um, something else that I thought was interesting. Also, I think she's like, other than Blackwall, I love that she kind of looks her age. She still looks young because no one could dare put age on a woman, right? I mean, look at Winnie. Win? Win. Yeah. Yeah, And Origins. I'm sorry, I know someone who spells her name exactly like that, but they pronounce it Winnie. And um, it just boggles my mind. Anyway, so Cassandra wields her weapon right-handed in the game during gameplay and in cutscenes. But the scene, it's a possible scene, but like there's a scene where you can see her trying to write down like the story after the quest, Here Lies the Abyss. It shows her writing with her left hand. So either she's ambidextrous or maybe left-handed because apparently... All NPCs in the game wield exclusively with their right hand, so it may have nothing to do with what hand she actually uses. It could just be a game thing. I don't know. 
It's interesting though. My husband's left-handed. Maybe Cassandra's too. It's very rare to find a left-handed. Aren't you left-handed? No, but I'm also 37 and you kept talking over to me when I was trying to say like being 37 oh, doesn't sorry. mean that I'm showing my age. <laughs> no, you're not showing. No, I meant like she doesn't look like a 19 year old like most oh, okay. women games Fair. do. Sorry, no, you don't show your age. Oh my God, I'm sorry. Uh, but no, I'm not left-handed. Uh, so Cassandra appears in Dragon Age 2 and then Dragon Age Inquisition and then in Absolution and to Winter Nights. And I'm guessing she will show up in Dreadwolf also. Now, I also like the fact that she doesn't change very much. Like we know we were instantly able to tell like it, that was Cassandra and the same character model. She didn't get a, what do you call it? An Ashley glow up. So that's cool. Yeah, they actually made her look um, more masculine in Inquisition. Mm-hmm. But also she's older than in Dawn of the Seeker. Like that took place in like 926 or something, Dragon. Oh, okay. But, um, um, yeah. Or maybe younger even still. I don't remember when that one took place. It was a lot earlier than Inquisition though. But yeah, she looks totally different than she did in Dragon Age 2. And I love the way she looks in Inquisition. Personally. Wait, I thought, I don't think she looks that different. Yeah, she she doesn't like, I mean, at least the pictures I saw, because it's been a long time since I actually played Dragon Age 2, she doesn't really have as much visible scarring and she doesn't have as much mm. of a scowl. Like she just looks angrier and like her jawline and her cheekbones are more sharp appearing and like her scars are either non-existent in Dragon Age 2 or way more prevalent in Inquisition, especially that one that goes down her face. So I don't know. And her hair is a little bit different. It's a little bit choppier. It looks a little bit more pixie cut-ish in Dragon Age 2. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. All righty. So middle of the show. Oh, now you're excited about Spotify. Yeah, I did. I did see that recently we got three more ratings. So now we are at 146. Just four very, uh, four people away from our goal of 150. Oh, 146. Yes, 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 yes. We also shout out the patrons in the middle of the show. So Big love, major thank you, all the hearts to Toasty and Apollo, Becky and Daddy Bat Knight, Mystheos and Muffiny Cake, Mackenzie and Twin. Yay, we love you all. Okay. Are you ready to get back to Cassandra and the fancy, fancy masquerade ball at the Winter Palace? Ooh, yes. We will need to put the soldiers at Skyhold on alert. Better to be safe. Wait. There is one thing we must do before we go. May I have this dance, Lady Cassandra? A dance? After all we've been through tonight? Can you think of a better way to celebrate? I suppose this isn't terrible. We wanted this clip in here mainly to really drive home the fact that the Inquisitor plays a key role in helping Cassandra to let her hair down a bit. 
I mean, not literally, because we just talked about the fact that she has really short, practical hair. You know, it's like the kind of hair that someone has when they have to take helmets on and off all day. That has to fight and not get hair in their eyes. You know, practical. But there are a lot of people that see a woman with short hair, masculine hobbies and traits, and a constant scowl, and they say, why isn't she a lesbian? Well, they have a point. People say that they gave Cassandra these traits and made her straight to subvert the trope that all masculine-coded women must be lesbian. But there aren't many butch lesbians portrayed in the media as it is. I mean, other than Boo from Orange is the New Black, can you think of any others? No, I really racked my brain, too. Not in, like, mainstream media, like really popular media. I can think of real-life people, sure, but not characters in stories. And Cassandra's not one either, no matter how much one might like her to be. I can see why people were upset by this. If you play as a female Inquisitor, you get all the same flirt options as a male Inquisitor. You can get Varric to write that sequel for her. Like, all of it up until a certain point is the same as a male Inquisitor who is trying to romance her. And she doesn't immediately shut you down in conversation because of incompatible sexualities like Cullen or other characters will if you flirt with him as a male Inquisitor, for example. Or other characters, like, the flirt options just are missing. Like, if you're not a female elf, you can't flirt with Solus. So it kind of makes it seem at first like you can romance Cassandra. And it doesn't end with like a friendly vibe like Dorian and a flirty female Inquisitor where the flirting isn't with any aim or motivation. It's just simple fun. Instead, with Cassandra, you get the same approval boosts when you flirt with her and you get the same cutscene at first that the male Inkies get where she says she might be imagining that you're flirting with her. And instead of the whole door slam, like, yes, I want to be properly courted bit, she'll say, she cannot return your affections and she makes it very clear that she isn't interested in you because of your position, because of her position and because you are a woman. Hmm. Yeah. I like the idea of the subverted trope of like a butch ass woman, just being a woman and attracted to whoever she wants to be attracted to. Uh, I don't know. I don't want to call it queer baiting, but it is a little bit what it feels like. Like, look at this butch woman. Ha ha. She's straight. Eh, I don't know. Um, on the other hand, though, I don't know if it matters all that much, but David Gator is who wrote her character and he himself is gay. So... It's not like he can't fall into the same trope traps as other people, but it does seem less likely somehow, given that he himself is part of the community, so he would want to subvert those tropes, or maybe just not fall into them. I don't know. I have no idea. Hmm. Now, 
on to Cassandra's personal quest. The big one about the secret of the seekers of truth. Secret seekers of truth. Hmm. Okay. Cassandra fears that her fellow seekers have been imprisoned by Corypheus. Turns out that the seekers were betrayed by their leader, Lord Seeker Lucius Malfoy. Wait, no. Lord Seeker Lucius. (laughs) He gave them to the Order of the Fiery Promise. Y'all, I can't make up these names, I swear. Ridiculous. The Order of Fiery Promise, so they could be fed red lyrium and implanted with a demon. Red lyrium, fiery promise. Wow. If you've forgotten, the Seekers normally cannot be possessed and do not use lyrium to fight like the Templars do. So they have a natural resistance to the red lyrium. So this whole thing sucks for Cassandra to see her fellow Seekers suffering in such a way, all at the hands of their dear leader. It's actually quite the badass moment for Cassandra. He does the classic villain move of like, let me tempt you with a fancy offer of power, which she doesn't consider for literally even a moment before she draws her sword and gives him one of her famous disgusted noises. I love it. We send him priority mail to the afterlife, and then Cassandra gets to rifle through the book of secrets kept by the Lord Seeker. First of all, having a book of secrets integral to the Seekers of Truth seems ironic at best, corrupt at worst, but it is indeed corrupt. This book reveals that all Seekers were secretly made tranquil during their vigil and then were restored, a.k.a cured of their tranquility by a spirit of faith touching their minds. So this is huge. It's a literal, actual cure to the right of tranquility, which blew my mind when I first learned about this, because as someone who played Dragon Age Origins, when it first came out in 2009, I was always horrified at the thought of being made tranquil. Being made tranquil is removing one's ability to touch the Fade, to access magic, to dream, and therefore your emotions. It's like you're, it's like a lobotomy, basically, like the worst kind of outcome for a lobotomy. It's just your flat nothingness it takes away everything that makes you you. It's been believed to be a permanent state up until now, a punishment doled out to unruly mages. I was left reeling. Cassandra's left reeling, wondering if she should even bother trying to reform the Seekers, seeing as she pretty much is the last one standing right now. I thought to rebuild the Seekers once victory was ours. Now I'm not certain it deserves to be rebuilt. You said there was more in the book. At some point, power becomes its own master. We cast aside ideals in favor of expedience and tell ourselves it was all necessary. For the people. Will that happen to us, Inquisitor? Will we repeat history? Some people might view this as an example of how her faith is shaken and therefore weak. But it is a necessary thing to be faithful and suspicious. 
to not question and believe blindly, it's not true faith. It's an obsession. It's a cult behavior. As a wise woman once said, her faith is tested and challenged, but it never waffles and never wavers. Cassandra is practically a divine saint with how good she is and how bothered she is by the injustice and wrongness plaguing her world. She plans to have all the remaining Seekers read the Book of Secrets together for transparency and to establish a new charter that will be devoted to doing the Maker's work. She also desires to refine the process of curing tranquility to help those who have been made tranquil. Uh, which is kind of big for her, considering that she's never been overfond of mages. Cassandra is just simply someone to look up to. A true knight in shining armor. After her big discovery about the Seekers, Solus says something about her. Once again, I have to bring up Solus. He says something about her that I really, really adore. And I also adore the amount of respect he has for her. It doesn't start out that way, but he sure is a fangirl of Cassandra after um, game, like the game progresses. That's saying a lot, coming from a bitter, ancient being who has watched humanity for centuries and has been mostly disappointed. Cassandra feels that the vigil was just a trick, a ritual no different than the harrowing, rather than the gift from the maker she thought it was. He replies, this is a quote, Do you know how rare spirits of faith are? How difficult it is to draw them to this world? You should be proud, having accomplished something so remarkable, not ashamed it was not what you thought. Your faith does you credit, Cassandra. I hope your maker is worthy. That is exceedingly high praise, and it really captures my feelings on her as well. I don't know if the maker is worthy of her devotion. Okay. I almost see your soulless thing when he says lines like that. I'll give you that. He can be so sweet and also so awful. He contains multitudes like we all do. Yes, I... Yes. <laughs> Now, as the Inquisitor, you'll have to earn your worth for her devotion, too. In order to culminate this romance, you need to get three things. Flowers and candles, both from Valroyo, and a book of poetry from Redcliffe Village. Once you do that, you can invite Cassandra to an evening of proper courting and wooing in a peaceful glade just outside of Skyhold. On aching branch do blossoms grow, the wind a hallowed breath. It carries the scent of honeysuckle, sweet as the lover's kiss. It brings the promise of more tomorrows, of sighs and whispered bliss. You can't be serious. <laughs> As I recall, your list was very specific. And that is the poem you chose? What's wrong with it? Carmenum di Amatus. I thought this one was banned. 
His lips on mine speak words not voiced, a prayer, which travels down my spine like flames that shatter night. His eyes reflect the heaven stars, the maker's light. My body opens, filled and blessed, my spirit there. Not merely housed in flesh, but brought to life. Shall we read another? They will say one of two things about me. That I stood at the Inquisitor's side, his protector and his lover. That it was meant to be. Or they will say I was led from the path of faith by the wiles of a madman. I don't care what they say. What do you believe? I believe you are a faithful man. I believe you are part of the Maker's plan. Beyond that, I believe only that you are capable of anything. And it frightens me. I have never known anything like it. I've been with only one other man in my life. A mage with whom I adventured when I was still very young. He died at the conclave. I will not let Corypheus win. I will not let him take you from me. I love you. Here, tonight, I believe you. Oh, you guys. Oh, it was beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. This scene is all about the pregame, the wooing, and the romance, not the sex. We do see them do one roll in the grass, getting prepared for things to come next. But that's all. But the pasa doble, the cat and mouse dance, walking together and then apart while reading the poetry in those sultry as fuck tones. That is their sex. That is their foreplay. It's delicious. Cassandra's romance tarot card is that of temperance. That is its um, equivalent in the major arcana. Something unique about Cassandra's tarot cards is that they don't change unless you romance her or she becomes the divine at the end of the game. If neither of those things happen, her strength card, her default card, remains the whole time. I think this is a little nod to Cassandra as a person. She isn't influenceable, really. She knows what's right. She knows who she is. And she's just there to see this mission through and support you as Inquisitor. That's why it's interesting that her romance card is temperance. Temperance means moderation or self-restraint, which is not something you would normally associate with romantic love, especially during a war in a video game. They're usually quite passionate, and this seems quite passionate. I think it means that Cassandra is balancing her single-mindedness and aggressive tendencies towards going after a goal to allow the Inquisitor in. In blacksmithing, to temper steel or another alloy is to make it tougher by making it more flexible 
rather than rigid and inflexible. Now, Cassandra's card visibly is her standing in front of a blue and red background. Two opposite colors on the spectrum. And she is in between them. Renegade or Paragon. In her right hand is a fine goblet, pointed down and pouring out a blue liquid that looks like water. Her right hand is raised and held in a way that suggests she is holding something. Something red, and it is dripping out from between her fingers. Her face is soft, and her expression is vulnerable. It looks like she has found a way to channel both her desires, both her duty to the Inquisition and Theodos, and also her dream of being properly courted. She has two hands, after all, and a heart big enough for it all. So here we are fast-forwarding through the endgame because we have to talk more about this character, and it's already getting long because Cassandra... So we stop Corypheus, reveal that Solus is the Dreadwolf, blah, blah, blah. Old news at this point. There is this one clip that literally made me tear up when I was picking audio for this episode. And I want you guys to hear it because it is so good for Cassandra's romance. It happens at the end of the game. It's great. There was a moment after the orb exploded. I thought for certain you were dead. I prayed, don't take him from me, not after all we've been through. And then I saw you through the smoke. Sometimes the maker is kind. It's really good. And I can hear it in her voice, too. The voice acting is perfect. Don't take him away from me after everything we've been through. She sounded like she was about to cry, and that instantly was like, oh, I can't do it. I see someone cry. I hear crying in their voice. I cry, too. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Slap pretty much wraps it up. We've got one more clip after we make our decisions on the Trespasser DLC. If you make Cassandra the new divine, it is a peaceful time, and she has been able to rebuild trust in the Chantry and enact the changes it desperately needed. Yay. But if she isn't the new divine... She upheld her promises to rebuild the Seekers and tell them all the truth about the Vigil. If Leliana is divine, Cassandra is happy. But if Vivienne becomes divine, she eventually leaves the Seekers because Vivienne is only ever out for herself. And Cassandra hates that type of behavior. I would like to say it is Cassandra's viewpoint that Vivienne is only out for herself. But that's up to interpretation. This last clip that we are going to play is about marriage. It happens when Cassandra is divine and you have romanced her throughout the rest of the game and is just the final little bow on the present that is this romance. I have to know this is not simply a way for you to mend what you believe broken. Broken? What's broken? You and me. I'm talking about marriage. Marriage? Yes, marriage. You are here to propose, are you not? 
You're not here to propose. I am going to kill Varric. Why do I believe everything he says? Why? Now that you've brought it up, maybe we should get married. I love you. I will always love you. But I am divine, and we know it can never be. What comes next will not be easy for either of us, but you do not have to fight for me. I am not going anywhere, not even if the Maker himself tries to stop me. Believe that. That is all I meant to say. Oh, love that. Love that. So, yes, love that whole thing. Obviously, that clip was if she was divine. If she isn't divine, she'll say something really similar, like, oh, yeah, maybe someday we can get married. But, like, at least she offers the possibility, but you don't get to marry her in-game like you can Sarah or Colin. Um, is that the only two people you can marry? I think it's just Sarah and Colin. Um, you do, like, a commitment. You can with Bull also. He says oh, that okay. as soon as, yeah, he agrees to marry you. Well, lucky you guys. Anyway, that's where we would normally end our episode. But tonight we have a special guest, which is why I know we're going to talk way more. But it's going to be great. Can't wait. Yes, <laughs> we do. We have a very, hello. Yay. Miss Shelby, Miss Sheikup. Of course, we had to get you in on this Cassandra episode. Yes. So glad to be here. I'm pretty sure you requested to be here all the way back in like year one origins. Oh, yeah. Like it was so long ago. I was like, when y'all get to this, like I know it'll be years, but like <laughs> it has to be me. <laughs> oh, well, welcome back. Uh, you've definitely you've been on quite a few episodes already, both as like a guest and a patron, and a consultant for our Dragon Age wrap-ups. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Uh, I don't think that we really need to get into your love of Dragon Age, because, well, you have a whole damn podcast about it. So we know that you love the game. But what about specifically Cassandra? Yeah, I think um, my favorite thing about her... Um, I guess there are two really, but my number one favorite thing about her just as a person and a character is I think that she's a really um, well portrayed person of faith in video games. And I don't think we get a lot of those um, done well, at least I think a lot of times, even in TV and movies, I think there are a lot of people that are just very one dimensional in their religion, whatever it may be. And I don't think that she is one dimensional at all. Um, and so I think that her faith, the way it's written is really well done. I think that they took a lot of care with her struggle and her questioning and her doubt throughout the game. I think that that is, you know, one of the number one reasons I love her. Um, but more than that, I think the other reason I love her is because she's such a great example of a strong woman who does not feel the need to, I mean, I guess she does hide a little bit, you know, the things that she loves about romance and femininity and, and um, passion, but not from the person that she loves the most. Like she's very open and honest with the Inquisitor about I want to be wooed. I want to um, be romanced. I want to be wined and dined, you know, 
Um, she's very open about that. And I also don't think we get that very often, especially from strong female characters who may be a little bit more masculine presenting. That is a really valid point about like the religious characters, unless you are playing, I mean, in like a D&D based game where you're a cleric and your faith actually is the thing that literally gives you power. Mass Effect does religion okay, um, because we have Ashley, who is some form of earthborn religion that believes in a god. We don't know exactly which one. Um, and then like Thane and his religion, mm. that one's done really well as well. Um, but for somebody who actually goes through a crisis of faith that I don't think I've really seen anywhere else to where it's done really, really well. Yeah. And I also love Thane too. So, you know, maybe, maybe I do have a type. <laughs> uh, so when I was listening to these dialogues, um, there was the line that Cassandra said that was like, is this a Thane nod? Because Femshep in the romance culmination scene for Thane goes, be alive with me tonight. And when she says here tonight, I believe you. I don't know. There was just the way that the, both of those lines hit just it hit me the same way. Yeah, I see that. I definitely see that. And I, I mean, they're very different characters, but I do think they have some commonalities, too. Yeah. Uh, so we discussed a lot about Cassandra today. Did you learn anything new? I mean, I, I wouldn't necessarily say I learned a lot new, but I will say that I always love y'all's interpretation of the tarot cards. I don't know anything about tarot at all. And so... Um, I definitely learned, you know, what is the name of her card and, you know, just all of that stuff. I, I didn't know anything about that. Um, and I really loved, um, Vervada, your interpretation of temperance and, um, how it's not necessarily like her walking this, this middle road, but rather, um, her allowing herself to be changed by her lover. I really appreciated that. But actually, that's why I was excited for you to come on, Shelby, because specifically for the religious aspect, because you're like educated in what was your degree in again? Yeah, what I have a master of a master of divinity degree, which is a graduate degree in religion. So I know some things. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's a huge I mean, like, that is the biggest part of Cassandra, I feel like. And so, I mean. We've talked, I don't even remember when we talked about this. I know, it, I think it was on the Dragon Age lore cast um, for the Chantry. Yeah, I was on for one of the Chantry episodes. The, I think it was the Arlesian yeah. Chantry episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and because it's very similar to the Catholic Church, which I grew up in. And I have a fondness for Catholicism, even though I am not a practicing Catholic anymore. I, I really loved that aspect about Cassandra because... She is, in my mind, like the, I, I hate to use the term ideal, but like, I don't know of a better term right now, like the ideal Christian in a way, like, and she's in Drosten, right? But like, she is, she literally lives the good values of her faith in a way that you just do not see other people. Because in Dragon Age in general, the Chantry is always painted in such a negative light because they're constantly doing bad things. Like every game has some Templar mage issue and those are both Chantry run organizations. 
you know, and Cassandra's like the one figure we have that's like the closest to Andraste that you can get to. And so I, and I also love that she's just such a big character. I really hope she's in Dreadwolf somehow too. And so, I mean, I don't know where I'm going with this. It's just, I really loved to see it, you know, because <laughs> you don't get to see positive portrayals of faith in a lot of media. It's usually like how it leads you down a dark path or the dark secrets, especially with Catholic stuff. Like you got Midnight Mass on Netflix. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, great. They're, they're vampires. You know, like <laughs> you never get anything good. So it was, it's really, I just love Cassandra. She, she walks the walk. Mm-hmm. I agree with that totally. And I also think even when we just stick to Dragon Age, like we have so many examples of shitty religious people, like, okay, can we talk about Sister Patrice? Like, okay, she's just out here manipulating, ma- manipulating people to start a war. Great. And then we have like Grand Cleric Elthina, who literally refuses to take a side. And so it starts a war. Like, so we don't have great examples to go on for religious people in Dragon Age. Wasn't it also a high cleric uh, or a sister who locked Sten up of no crime because he didn't actually do anything? Yeah, they just well, he does. He does murder people, but I don't remember if they actually knew or had evidence that he he committed that crime. No, I don't remember. Um, But yes, so he actually did break the law. Oh, okay. (laughs) It's murder. It's fine. I'm sorry. (laughs) That's actually another part I love about Cassandra's like the very first thing, other than her interrogating you and being like, you killed the divine immediately. She's like the first time you see her point that energy at someone else. It's someone in the chantry that she's, you would think, she's like going to defer to chantry authority and stuff but and like part of that's just being a seeker like that's her whole job but she is like the only seeker we ever see doing her job like the actual role of the seeker and i i don't know i just i love to see characters stand up to authority even if she is representing that authority she's going to hold everyone accountable no matter who they are and what they're doing and where they are and it's just so admirable like i love 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 cassandra so much even though i couldn't romance her she was my best friend by the end of my game speaking of the couldn't romance her what are your thoughts on that one yeah i mean y'all know i have opinions i i understand where people are coming from when they say they understand why she's straight they understand and they think that it's like good representation to have a more masculine presenting person as a straight character. Like I get that. I, that I get that argument. However, at the same time, there are a lot of reasons why I think it was the wrong choice. Firstly is that she flirts with you. Like she flirts back with you. Like just, Mm -hmm. she does. That is just in the game. Um, But even more than that, like, I think when you have such a religious character and our religion in our world very often is very homophobic, it's a missed opportunity to have a character that breaks those boundaries and represents something different to have a masculine-ish female character who is sappy, who is romantic, who is also gay, who is also religious. I just feel like it was a missed opportunity um, on their part. And also, I get the representation thing uh, for, you know, more masculine straight women. 
But at the time, all at, at in the same vein, we already have that representation in Dragon Age because we have Aveline. She is a straight masculine woman, and that's great. We don't have, and like, I wouldn't even really classify Cassandra as a butch woman. I just think she's more masculine presenting. And so we don't have any like butch representation at all in Dragon Age. Like, there are no masculine lesbians whatsoever. Um, no masculine bi people really whatsoever um or by women at least so i just feel like it was a missed opportunity um and i know that there's a lot of criticism of the people who say oh well she looks masculine so she has to be a lesbian i'm not saying that um but given all of the other mitigating circumstances that i have just named i think it makes sense that she should be at least bisexual yes (laughs) <laughs> no notes send it a good uh, yes <laughs> yeah i've had that rant like that just like goes that rant goes through my head like probably once a week or so yeah oh um i agree because we we did we had aveline and like i kind of wanted to romance aveline you know regardless of like which hawk i was playing as i was like i kind of really like her but it also makes sense that, you know, she didn't want to get into a relationship with Hawk because her husband had literally just freaking died. And then she falls in love with somebody that she works more closely with. She tells Hawk, yeah, we go out and do shit every once in a while, but this is my actual job and I have a life outside of adventuring with you. Um, and so I'm glad that she lives her life and she goes on it. But as for Cassandra, I think... I think it would have been really cool to at least seen her as bi and be openly bi and not player sexual, um, mm-hmm. but to actually have a conversation about it. I think that would have been so big, so huge. Oh, sad face. We did not get that. Uh, were there any things that we missed any key factors that would have brought more depth to this romance? Um, yeah, I just have one thing. And I think it comes from something a lot of people miss, which is the Dawn of the Seeker movie, which is an animated movie. I don't remember what year it was released in, but it's about her story. And y'all mentioned it. But in the movie, she has a relationship with a mage, as you mentioned. Um, but if you look a little bit more closely at the relationship you, she has with him, I think his name is Galleon. She's so closed off at first and and for a long time with him, she's so closed off so much that they like barely even have a relationship. Um, And she obviously very much is so skeptical of magic at that time more than she is in Inquisition. And um, I just think it's really interesting to compare that relationship with the relationship she has with the Inquisitor, because when you're introduced to her and you've only seen her in Inquisition, it's like, oh, she is so closed off. She is like not willing to open up and, and be open about who she is at all. But when you compare her to her relationship in Dawn of the Seeker, it's like, oh, wow, she's opening up so much faster this time around. So I just think that's a fun little bit of character development. Okay. Yep. I know that we we said the name, but didn't actually go into anything that happened in that in the movie. I haven't watched that one. I did watch Absolution it's, though. It's good. It's um. It's okay. Like it's. I like it because it has Cassandra in it. Um. But it's she's. I don't know. It's it's very feminine. Um. 
so it always like kind of takes me out of the situation. Like she has a little battle dress thing going on and I don't know, it's just very feminine and it, it feels like not like her in some situations. So, but it's, it's a good story. She did say that she was with that mage when she was much younger. So she was still growing into her, I can wear real boy armor. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, let's see. So I know that it wasn't your first playthrough where you picked Cassandra because you couldn't, uh, Mm-hmm. But as soon as you played through the first time and you met her, you were like, I love her and I'm going to play as a man just so I can go through this romance. Well, so what happened is I like convinced myself I was going to be able to romance her. Austin Teacup was like, she's not romanceable by a woman. And I was like, I can flirt with her. You're wrong. And he's like, you can't do it. And I'm like, I'm going to keep flirting with her like you're wrong like you are wrong and um eventually we had the conversation where she's like I'm not interested in women and I was devastated whatever anyway then I went on to be a basic white girl and romance Cullen um but interestingly enough I didn't even romance her as my second playthrough because I romanced Cullen I was like I want a lesbian like I want the lesbian romance to make up for what I did not have Um, (sighs) so then I went and romanced Josie as a female um, human and then on my third playthrough I because I almost always play women and so on my third playthrough I switched uh, to play a man and romance her fully um, which actually has been one of my favorite playthroughs so I I don't know what my canon is anymore because I've just romanced all of them and I don't even know, um, but I, I I love her romance. It's just so good. So that's kind of my journey. Yeah. Oh, that's a lot of playthroughs. Um, yeah. And I generally, when given the option, my first playthrough will always be as a female character. And then depending on like how I'm feeling about the game, if I'll go back and play it again as a male, because um, I love playing as guys also, but I always go you know, women first. Um, mm-hmm. But I think the only game that I didn't do that with was cyberpunk, mainly because I knew going into it who I wanted to romance and he's a gay option only. So I was like, I have to start out as a male V in order to romance who I want. Yes. Oh. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, you want to ask a, a few follow up questions or the last couple of questions we have? I'll sit on the back burner for a minute. Let you guys go. Oh, I, it's okay. I closed. I don't even remember what we have written out. I mean, I don't know. You you guys pretty much covered everything I wanted to talk about, uh, Cassandra. My only other thought was um, when you were going on your rant, I, though I was reading this person's point of view of when they first played the game. And because of the ability to flirt with her for so long and and the way she looks, even though me personally, I never looked at her and assumed her sexuality based on her look just for whatever reason i just didn't do that um she kind of i don't know maybe it's because i don't know if i'm considered straight when i'm demi but i am married to a man and so when i saw her and the way she fangirls over stuff i just kind of pegged her as like she's she's very into men you know like i could just tell but like this person is a lesbian this person i read their point of view where they did the game and they were like really thinking they were romancing her and then (laughs) they got turned down very summarily and firmly 
and we're devastated and then they're like okay i'm just gonna go romance dorian and got turned down again and i couldn't feel so bad because i'm like nowadays when we have the guides and we know who we can and can't romance if there are defined sexualities it's a different story but like back in the day when the game first comes out and no one really knows what it is and you're discovering it for the first time like gosh that could be so disappointing and as much as I understand that disappointment and I, I think they need to have there, I think even though we've had a whole episode about how we, we prefer to find sexualities overall, at least the people we talk to, there's a lot of players that really just want player sexual across the board. That's why Baldur's Gate's doing so well. I think right now I see that appeal because then you, you know, you won't get turned down, but at the same time, I think there's something to be said for like having that experience in a game too, maybe like it's more realistic, but do we want realism in a video game that's about like fantasy and magic and stuff? Like maybe we want to just have those fantasies too of like, well, I get to romance whoever I want. I don't really know. I, I feel bad for everyone who wanted to romance Cassandra and couldn't, but yeah, she's, she's too busy being wined and dined by a man. Sorry. Oh, uh, I, I could go off on a whole nother difference between like no, no no no, no. The, like the, <laughs> like the whole difference between like pan, uh player sexual and bisexual because i don't even care that all of dragon age 2 is bisexual um because they all talk about it like they're defined mm-hmm. all of their sexualities are defined as bisexual um not like nobody in Baldur's Gate talks about like the I like being with men I like being with women I like being with things in between or outside of the genders um but open player sexuality is just not for me but anyways back to Cassandra uh overall do you feel like we did this romance justice I mean for sure y'all covered like so much I feel like this is one of the longer episodes y'all have done and i i feel like you you got it you covered it all yay oh on a quick total tangenty side note i need to know if your cassandra ever got naked because in the videos that i watched she stayed clothed the whole time and so did the inquisitor i think i've seen a video of her being naked though i thought like ages ago i didn't see one doing research for this episode but i thought she does get naked yeah in the game she does like it's they're both nude um okay so it may be like a youtube thing that someone edited it could be yeah or they turned on like the the clothing options the censored versions about cgi boobies i know but you see them anymore maybe they're too realistic oh you know what I'll edit this out, but we can totally watch all of the romance videos on uh, Pornhub and they show the full nudity there. <laughs> of course they do. That's yeah. funny. I didn't know they were That's up hilarious. There. Yeah. Uh, our, uh, <laughs> our main research YouTubers that we uh, use a lot of clips from, they are also on Pornhub. Don't ask me how I found it. Uh, as for someone who is... Yeah. They have a okay. Pornhub channel. That's funny. <laughs> Fuck. Um, as someone who has done multiple, multiple full playthroughs, what makes you come back each time? 
Yeah. Well, my first primary motivation for coming back and doing new playthroughs is so that I can do all the romances. Um, and then I do them like I want to do a, the same romance with like a different gender when that's applicable or like a different race when you can do that um, just for the role play. But also, I don't know, usually I kind of have like a theme for my Inquisitor, especially like um, I played like a douchey chantry bro one time. Um, and that was like my, like that was how I made my dialogue <laughs> choices, which I found very fun. Like just kind of like an asshole frat guy. Um, coincidentally, he was also the one that romanced Cassandra. So it was just a fun time um, was had by all. So I kind of have like themes for my different characters that keep me, keep me on my toes a little bit. Oh, yeah. Role playing in the role playing game. I fully agree with that because, yeah, sometimes and especially as somebody who mainly plays as female characters, when you switch to a male character, you bring a different attitude with it. Yes. Like, yeah. Well, the first time I ran with a bro Shep, I was like, this is going to be my renegade run. I have a dick. Mm -hmm. I'm a be a dick. <laughs> yes, that's perfect. <laughs> All right. Before we wrap up the show tonight is what are all of the things that you shout out and plug? Yeah. So we, um, me and teacup, my husband, we do, um, currently two podcasts together. So if you don't know us, you should check out the dragon age lore cast and the assassin's creed lore cast. Um, those are our two shows. We're all over discord in, um, the two girls server. We have our own server called the cup server and we're in robot server as well. So, um, check us out if you are interested. Yes, the the Cups podcasting and more is one of the best uh, Discord servers out there. I love it. I am in there trolling, or not trolling, but uh, I hide and I lurk a lot, but I'm there looking at everything. If you like what you are hearing, please be sure to leave a review on iTunes or on Spotify and subscribe wherever ever you listen to podcasts you can now find me on the cyberpunk lorecast with my co-host toasty where we explore the foundations of the past the state of night city today and the news of the future for all things cyberpunk and of course in our own two girls <laughs> of course in our own two girls one ship channel on the robots radio discord and come give us a follow on all the social medias and on patreon.com slash two girls one ship. Our theme music was composed by the ever talented Pipe Man Studios, and our artwork was designed by the esteemed Let's Not. Links to those are in the description. I am on the Robots Radio Discord, as well as our own Two Girls One Ship Discord server, where we nerd out on all our favorite CGI significant others. Um be sure to check out our live streams like you're doing right now, people in the chat. On Fridays on Twitch at 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 7.30 p.m. Pacific Time. Our podcast episodes release on Mondays because you need at least one good thing on a Monday, especially in this economy. <laughs> so thanks for listening. And remember... <laughs> beauty is in the eye of the controller. Ever wanted to be a content creator, but had no clue where to begin? 
Come join me as I sit down with content creators that have already faced the challenges you're up against as they discuss the tips and tricks that help them be successful. Here on The Content Creator's Guide, available wherever podcasts can be found.